This is the Incubator and the Neonatology Review Podcast. We are your study buddies for neonatology topics. I'm Dr. Ben Korsha. And I'm Dr. Daphne Yasova Barbo. Welcome. Good morning, friends. <laughs> How are you this morning? There you go, Daphne. I said something different today. Yeah, you mixed it up. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, everything good with you? It's yeah, so fr- far so good. Happy Friday. Happy Friday, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> My daughter says, it's Friday. Oh, Your teacher <laughs> must say that. <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's a cute one. It's better than TGIF. <laughs> Uh, all right, so we're closing this week of pulmonary questions with uh, three more questions coming from the Brodsky and Martin Q&A book. Daphne, are you ready? As ready as I'm going to be. All right, let's do question number 24. Um, by the way, I wanted to clarify for people, if you're coming like from day to day and we're not going in sequential order, that's on purpose. Like you haven't missed something, mm-hmm. right? The fact that mm-hmm. yesterday we ended with question 21 and now we're doing question 24 doesn't mean that you missed. Right. Like, no, this, you're fine. Let's, let's, get, right. let's get started. Okay. So we're, we're trying to pick questions we think are best for audio format. Yeah, high yield and, and the best for audio format. Agreed. Mm-hmm. Okay, mm-hmm. so pulmonary question number 24, Daphna states, which of the following is the largest component of surfactant? Are you ready? So you have four choices. Choice A is phosphatidylcholine disaturated. Mm-hmm. Choice B is phosphatidylcholine monosaturated. Choice C is phosphatidylglycerol. I'm mispronouncing all of them, right? Anyway. And choice D is surfactant proteins. Listen. <laughs> okay. This is where this is where my uh, uh listen, that's the best I can do. So this is a rote memorization question. And I, some time ago, decided I just have to figure out a way to remember this question. So the answer is A, phosphatidylcholine disaturated. And how do you remember this? So surfactant is mostly comprised of lipids. So then you have to remember which lipids. So um, I remember that phosphatidylcholine disaturated is almost twice the amount as phosphatidylcholine monosaturated. So it's disaturated, there's twice as much of it. So about 50% of surfactant is phosphatidylcholine disaturated. Um, phosphatidylcholine monosaturated is about 20%. And then the remaining components are all like six to eight percent other lipids phosphatidylglycerol and like you mentioned in a previous episode the surfactant proteins only make up about eight mm-hmm. percent so it's mostly lipid um you are correct my friend choice that's all i have to say about that disaturated <laughs> is the is the right answer um how do you pronounce it phosphatidylcholine <laughs> phosphatidyl phos <laughs> I got you. I got you to trip up. That's good. The way I remembered it was uh, you have basically you have the monosaturated and the disaturated. Mono starts right. with an M. It's minor. Disaturated. Right. Ah. Yeah. Di is D. It's almost double. And yeah, it's like mm-hmm. 20 to 50%. So technically it's not exactly mm-hmm. double, but almost double. Um, but it's more. But it's more. That's right. <laughs> That's um, right. And so that... Uh, 
that does it for question 24. That was short and sweet. Mm -hmm. Let's go. Okay. Question 25. When reviewing the development of alveoli in the fetus, which of the following statements is accurate? A. Alveolar development can be hastened by antenatal steroids. B. Alveolar development begins during the second trimester. C. Alveolar development continues until age 3 to 8. D. A term neonate will have approximately 1 million alveoli. Or E. All of the above. So, first of all, <laughs> let me just put it out there. I got the question wrong, okay? And it's okay. No, it's not okay because um, let me go one by one. And here where the problem mm. lies. I'm going to start completely <laughs> out of order. So, okay. so we want to know which of the following sta statement is correct about the development of alveoli. So straight to choice C. Alveolar development continues until age three to eight years. That I knew for a fact was correct, right? Mm -hmm. So that I'm like, all right, C is correct, done. But you have- But you didn't trust your gut. No, that's not the point. The point is you have <laughs> E there that says all of the above. Mm. So now I have to make sure that yeah. A, B, and D are either wrong or right. And alveolar development can be hastened by antenatal steroids. And mm. that- I did not, Tricky. I was tricked. I was like, I don't think so. And then I, then you had B, alveolar development begins during the second trimester. I didn't pay too much attention to that choice either. And then, right. and listen to this, <laughs> a term neonate will have approximately 1 million alveoli. And that I was, and I was like, I have no clue. <laughs> but I'm like, but they all sounded kind of right. Reasonable. Exactly. Yeah. So I picked E mm. and I was wrong. Right. Well, you were right about C. Alveolar <laughs> development continues until ages three to eight years is correct. Uh, we reviewed that in our first episode on, on Monday. Um, and this really refers back to um, the, the, to, the to lung development. The, the or stages, stages of, of lung, lung development. development. That's right. Mm -hmm. Go ahead. No, go Do ahead. you want to go over them or should I? Go ahead. I'm very <laughs> okay. frustrated about this question. This question. So this is asking about alveolar development. So the alveolar stage um, begins at 36 weeks until three to eight years. And then even if even if you wanted to, to push it back about the formation of the alveolar ducts and the alveolar sacs, which happens in the saccular, the terminal sac stage, that happens between, I remember, 25 to 35 weeks. I go by tens. It's really, you know, about 27 to 36 weeks. Um, so that is, that's after the second trimester. Um, so you're really into the third trimester, even at that point. And then it continues until age three to eight years. And then this, this, uh, what increases alveolarization and decreases alveolar alveolarization is, is a very popular question. Mm -hmm. Um, and so we think that steroids good, right? <laughs> but alveolarization is actually slowed by antenatal steroids, even though they have a very big impact um, in particular on um, surfactant development. Other factors that also um, slow alveolarization are supplemental oxygen, mechanical ventilation, and nutritional deficiencies. So all of those things actually decrease alveolarization, including antenatal steroids. Yeah, that's... And then... 
Go ahead. No, I was going to say that's the key. We give antenatal steroids in order to promote surfactant development at the expense of alveolarization. <laughs> and, and, that's... and so I think that's the key to this question. Yeah. And once you knew, once you know that one of those things is wrong, then then ego's out the window. Um, and then the, you may not remember, but a term infant will have approximately fifty to one hundred and fifty million alveoli. That is a lot. That's a lot. Way more than one <laughs> way, way more than one million alveoli, um, and that's compared to an adult who will have two hundred to six hundred million alveoli. So, so actually. I think that's not so far off from the adult, but it's way more than 1 million yeah. alveoli. It's a great question because the way the mm -hmm. choices are phrased, they, mm -hmm. they can like... They were just confusing enough. Yeah, they're like, you know, they could sneak by you and, and, I, got, and I feel so... The fact that I ended up saying that A and B were correct just pisses me off, but it's okay. All right. <laughs> okay. okay, next question. This is the last question of the week. Are you ready? Mm. I'm ready. Okay, so this is pulmonary question number 28. Daphna, you are called to the delivery room to evaluate a full-term male infant who has just been born by vaginal birth. You observe that the infant is in severe respiratory distress, ugh, mm. in severe respiratory distress <laughs> without breath sounds on the left side. The infant's... No, no. I know, right? <laughs> the infant's abdomen is scaphoid in appearance. What is the most appropriate initial management of this infant? Severe respiratory distress, no breath sounds on the left side, scaphoid abdomen, initial management. Choice A, insert a chest tube to evacuate air from the pleural space. Choice B, intubate the infant minimize and minimize inflation pressure to achieve gentle ventilation. Choice C, Place an umbilical venous line and start IV prostaglandin. Choice D, provide bag mask ventilation with high positive inspiratory pressure to reinflate the collapsed lung. <laughs> You're laughing already. All right, all yours. So um, first I have to decide what, what this baby has. Mm -hmm. um, so you gave us the buzzwords. They are in severe respiratory distress. There are no breath sounds on the left side. Um, and they want us to decide, you know, is this a pneumothorax? Is this atelectasis? Or is this bowel in the chest, um, you know, obscuring lung sounds with a congenital diaphragmatic hernia? And then they give us the key buzzword. <laughs> This infant's abdomen is scaphoid in appearance. And so that means there's less stuff in the abdomen than there should be. And it's probably in the chest. So, so. actually, uh, scaphoid comes from the Greek word scaphos, which mm. means boat. Mm. So like the belly being completely mm -hmm. depressed looks like a little uh, boat. And so, uh -huh. and, that's what, and that's because all the gut is moved up in the chest. So that's what scaphoid uh -huh. stands for. That's very helpful. Thank you. <laughs> So what is the most appropriate initial management of the infant? So do I want to insert a chest tube to evacuate air from this baby who I think has congenital diaphragmatic hernia? No, I do not want to do that. Um, do I want to intubate the infant and minimize inflation pressure to achieve gentle ventilation? Why, that sounds like the perfect management for a baby with congenital diaphragmatic hernia. So I'm going to hold on to that one. Um, C, place an umbilical venous line and start intravenous prostaglandin. Um, 
no, I, I don't believe this baby has a um, congenital heart disease given those findings. And in fact, I, I might expect that baby to not even have respiratory distress um, and they should have um, breath sounds bilaterally. Um, so the baby with the congenital heart disease, not the right. Correct. Yeah, okay. Right. Yes. So baby with congenital heart disease may not even have distress, yeah. but potentially cyanotic. Um, we should be able to hear breath sounds. Um, shouldn't have a scaphoid mm -hmm. abdomen. And then provide bag mask ventilation with high positive inspiratory pressure. Um, that that's the nightmare. The, that's the nightmare. <laughs> that's the last thing I want to do. So where I where I trained. And in many places, the surgeons um, accompany us to uh, deliveries that are, you know, have anti that are antenatally known mm -hmm. to have congenital diaphragmatic hernia. And you, you better believe, as the new fellow, <laughs> you better not provide <laughs> any CPAP to that baby. You better get that tube in on the very first try. So um, that stuck with me. So um, if I can avoid using um, CPAP or inflating um, the abdomen uh, and the intestines in this baby who I believe to have congenital diaphragmatic hernia, um, I, I should avoid that. So um, B, this baby who I believe to have CDH, intubate the infant and minimize inflation pressure to achieve gentle ventilation. That is correct. Um, this was an easy question. So... Um we're going to keep going. I guess let's extend the case a little bit more and see if we can uh, okay. answer more stuff. So number one, the one thing I wanted to mention is um, there is no rhyme or reason to pick a mode of ventilation, meaning you can achieve gentle ventilation with both conventional ventilation and high frequency. Um, mm. The idea that high frequency is a must when you have CDH is no longer, it used to be a, a prevailing sort mm -hmm. of uh, belief, but it's no longer true. So conventional ventilation works fine as well if you can achieve uh, the proper oxygenation, obviously. So um, left-sided congenital diaphragmatic hernia versus right-sided, mm. do, do you know which one is more common? Gosh, let me think about that. Let's. I I know there one 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 is there is a right answer. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so um, we have the liver on the right side, which can be herniated, but and that's usually not good. That's not good. That's right? not good it to have. Predicts that. a poorer prognosis. But if it's not herniated, probably I would say. I would say left-sided. That is correct. Because the liver keeps things from herniating into the right side. The left side is the most common, 85% mm -hmm. of the time. I mean, this is, um, so yeah, so so this is much more uh, prevalent on the left side. Interestingly enough, uh, CDH can be associated in 40% of cases with other anomalies, including congenital heart mm -hmm. disease, uh, undescended testicle, mechal diverticulum, unilateral kidney, and so that's interesting that in the answer choices, they did recommend uh, starting prostaglandin and stuff like that. So could it be that this baby with CDH also have mm. something cardiac? It's possible. Mm -hmm. Is that your initial plan of managing this baby in the delivery room? Absolutely not. Do you, mm -hmm. Another question that they love to ask is, uh, so, so diaphragmatic hernia obviously is, is a failure of the diaphragm to, to properly mm -hmm. close. And uh, the pleuroperitoneal canal is supposed to close at how many weeks of gestation? Do you uh, do you remember that? Well, I was going to ask you, so I know the answer <laughs> is eight weeks. Eight weeks. Eight weeks gestation. Yeah. So so it's a failure of the closure of the pleuroperitoneal canal at eight weeks of gestation. 
And mm -hmm. when you're looking at these hernia, there's, there's the most common one happens on the posterior lateral aspect in the foramen mm -hmm. of uh, Bokdelic, and that's 70 to 90%. And then you have um, in the anterior midline area, that's the Morgani uh, uh, mm -hmm. uh, area. Uh, do you have um, associated clinical issues? Obviously, you have mediastinal shifts. Um, and you have pulmonary hypoplasia. And obviously the pulmonary hypoplasia mm -hmm. is present on the side of the herniation, the bowel um, pushing up, not, prevent, not allowing the lung to expand and develop leads to pulmonary hypoplasia. Uh, do you know... And, you, and you, could, you could have pulmonary hypoplasia on both sides from midline shift yes, yes. Right, of the heart. Um, you have associated uh, frequently associated pulmonary hypertension, but there's also one thing mm -hmm. I was rereading that I had forgotten that right-sided CDH is associated with a type of infection. Do you remember which one? No. So right-sided CDH is often associated with GBS uh, infection. So GBS and right. Why? I was trying to look that up and I couldn't find a good reason why, but yeah, um, okay. that was, that was something interesting. And then, like you said, the management <clears throat> There's a lot of studies being done on fetal mm -hmm. treatment, trying to occlude the trachea, really pr preventing the egress mm -hmm. of fluid to try to keep the fluid in the lung to um, uh, stimulate more uh, pulmonary development. Obviously, putting a decompression tube to relieve the, the, the bowel gas, uh, mm -hmm. intubating, minimal sedation, gentle ventilation, uh, early echocardiogram, uh, plus minus ECMO, depending on the um, oxygenation index, obviously, and... Uh, and uh, other clinical status, and obviously surgery, trying to, to treat the CDH. Survival rates are, should, are pretty good, 70 to 80%, mm -hmm. um, but there is uh, significant associated morbidities, including chronic lung disease, reflux. Reflux is the one I remember because all the kids mm -hmm. I ever take, <laughs> had ever taken care they of all have reflux. such bad reflux, um, but they have uh, neurodevelopmental impairment, unfortunately, late mm -hmm. onset hearing loss, and uh, there could be some recurrence uh, of the hernia if if mm -hmm. if patches are used and and uh, and the defect was rather large. So then let's look at so so the last so this is Friday so we can extend a little bit but let's talk about the different mm -hmm. risks right what makes it uh, better or worse. So if you have a sac meaning that there's an there's an eventration but the bowel are contained within a sac and they're not truly in the in the in the in the chest cavity, uh, this leads to better outcomes. Now, the liver involvement is usually not a good sign. And <clears throat> mm -hmm. on the right side, if, if you have more than the 50% uh, of the liver being in the chest is usually a worse prognostic factor. When you're looking at the left side, the more things you have going into the chest, the worse. So if you just have intestines, usually mm -hmm. the outcome is pretty good. The uh, prognosis is intermediate if you have now intestine, stomach, and spleen. And then if somehow mm -hmm. the, the spleen, liver, stomach, and bowel make it uh, into the chest, then that's <laughs> very high mortality. And that makes sense, right? Because where is any, where is any lung going to grow? Exactly. All <laughs> fed all that stuff in there. And then I guess the, the last thing we should talk about is the lung area to head circumference ratio, the LHR. Mm -hmm. And basically this is... Um, ultrasound measurements of the lung mm -hmm. area, which I was, I was looking up uh, a while back and it's not really high yield for the test. I mean, nobody's going to ask you to do any of that stuff. 
But right. depending on the long area to head ratio, you can have worse or better prognosis. So if your long to head ratio is less than one, is it good or bad? Lo say that the lung to head ratio less, less than one. Than one. It would be so you you want your numerator <laughs> to be bigger, not smaller. Right. So less than one would be bad. Yeah, it's actually very bad prognosis. Your lung is small. I was right. trying to review some papers compared. that were published back in the day. They're mostly coming from California in in the uh, in the nineties, right. and and basically anything less than zero point six, there's no survival. That's what they had reported mm. originally. So a long to a long area to head circumference ratio of less than one is bad. An LHR of 1.4 or more is good. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. uh, smaller is bad. 1.4 or more is mm -hmm. good. Makes and, sense. And that's really it. I mean, that's all I have for CDH. And we'll have more questions coming up, obviously, on sure. uh, CDH. So we'll be able to review those. Anything else? No, I think you did a great job. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in all week. Um, we love to hear your feedback. And we'll keep... We'll keep chugging along. Yeah. See you next week, guys. Thank you, Daphna. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Incubator and Neonatology Review Podcast. If you like our show, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. We would love to hear from you, so please feel free to reach out to Daphna and I via email by sending your messages to nicupodcast at gmail.com. You can also message the show on Twitter at nicupodcast. Thanks again for listening and see you next time. This podcast is intended to be purely for entertainment and informational purposes and should not be construed as medical advice. If you have any medical concerns, please see your primary care practitioner. Thank you.